Grab a seat. Really uh, great to be with you. Um, if you're just visiting, uh, we're really glad to have you here. Uh, this is Church at Bergen. I'm the, the pastor here, and uh, God's doing some really great things. And if you're wondering what this is, this is just simply a service where we uh, worship Jesus, and we do that uh, a number of ways. Uh, one of the ways we do that is by singing songs that, that talk about who he is and what he's done for us. Uh, and then we also worship Jesus by sitting under the, the word of God. We believe the scriptures bring life, joy, uh, and teach us all we need to know about, about Jesus and who he is as well. Uh, so we're walking through Ephesians. We have maybe two weeks left. Uh, then we're going to be running into Jonah uh, following that. Uh, excited about that. Don't know how long that's going to go. Could go a month or a year. Uh, but it's a smaller book, so it probably won't take that long. But you know how I am. Uh, sometimes I'll do like 10 verses and then one, one word. So uh, just however the Lord leads, we will we'll walk in that. And uh, we also uh, love to worship Jesus by just being generous uh, because Jesus was most generous to us in giving us himself. Uh, if you consider this your church home, we, you know that we give in that small black box in the back. Some of you guys have been asking where we give. Yes, it is that little black box. That's not a trash can. That is a, a place where the offering does go. Uh, and uh, some of you guys give online as well. We're really grateful for the ways that uh, you all just uh, give to the, to, to the mission here at CAB. So um, just wanted to encourage you. Um, our board went down to Dallas the last number of days. We just got back last night. Uh, none of us have Ebola. Uh, we were quarantined for overnight last night. So we're all good. So you guys are freaking out. We don't have it. Don't worry. Uh, it's evacuated out of there. We prayed over all of Dallas before we got there. So we're, we're back. We're thankful. It was deeply fruitful and encouraging for us. Um, we're excited how God's going to continue to lead us forward. Uh, and, and some of you guys, which was just so awesome, some of you guys wrote me this week as I was down there just saying how you couldn't wait for Sunday. Uh, and I just thought, man, what a, what a joy that, that we've got a group of people that just love to gather. Uh, that's rare. Um, and just so you know, I, I can't wait for Sunday either. I, I look forward, as soon as we leave here, I just can't wait till uh, seven days later till I can get back to be with you guys to worship Jesus and, and celebrate what he's done uh, for us. So uh, just excited about that. This morning, we're gonna, we're gonna land the plane on the armor with the, the final last two pieces. Actually, the last piece is not really armor. It's actually the only weapon that God gives you. But I wanna encourage you, if you have a pen, uh, this morning is a good time to have it and to use it. Uh, you're gonna hear a lot of verses this morning. Uh, not to overwhelm you just because there's just a lot to say about it. Um, there's a lot that won't be on the screen. So if you hear a verse that I just say or we reference one or read through one, uh, maybe just mark it down. And if you guys want, after the, the, uh, the service day, you can email me and I'll send you maybe more uh, of the verses we gave. I loved it. Last week, I got a number of emails uh, where you guys were saying, hey, can you shoot me those verses that were on the screen or some that you went through? And uh, I was able to provide that easily. Just kind of took my notes and, and handed that off. So uh, make sure you have a pen uh, as we look at this. So um, if you are just gathering with us or, or you've missed a number of weeks that we've been in this letter, uh, this letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, he wrote under the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit to write to this church at Ephesus. And this, this letter to the church at Ephesus is not as um, personal as all Paul's other letters. Uh, most of the other letters, he's responding to specific questions and spe specific issues. Uh, but here, this is a letter that wasn't just given to Ephesus. It was, it was namely for that, but it was also passed around to encourage the churches in Asia Minor. So this is a really practical letter. And Paul's main concern for us is that you would know first who you are in Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to be redeemed, what it means to be forgiven. What does it mean to have a new family that's eternal? What does it mean to have a new father that's perfect? What, are, what do those things mean? And then he gets into the weight of that and then moves to, hey, this is how this works out in your day-to-day -day living. Okay, so your position has to affect your practice. 
And you, we talk about how you can't reverse those. We talk about that all the time because all you become is somebody who becomes morally good and thinking that doing, earning, praying, going to church, loving your family, loving your kids actually makes you right before God. That doesn't happen. Right? Paul explains, no, you're made right before God by Jesus alone. Then he helps you love your family well. He enables you to parent well. He enables you to, to live as worship in your job. Right? He enables you to put to death the sin that is in you, these residual effects of the fall and walk in holiness. And so he's wrapping up all of that here in these final verses talking about and reminding us of, hey, as you do all of this, it's not just about you and him. There's this third party, and he hates the work of God, and he hates the people of God, and he wants to discourage, deceive, cause doubt, lure away from, entice, do whatever he can to get you away from the promises of God, the truth of God, of who you are in Jesus. And so to land us right and to, to kind of finish it off here, here's what we've learned. Number one, Paul says put on the belt of truth. Okay, we learned that that means you have to know what the truth is. You have to be committed to the truth okay, before you can ever even live in it. All right, so we talked about what that means. Then he said, put on the breastplate of righteousness. This means we appeal to this reality that, that Christ made us righteous in him, that he took on all your sin, bore the wrath of God for you, and that gifts you his righteousness. And not only are you positionally seen as righteous, but he further goes and imparts righteousness. This means you're now capable and able to walk in holiness, to grow in holiness, to grow more into the image of the Son. And then we said how we put on these shoes, that give us readiness in the gospel of peace. Remember, wow, I can't believe I'm no longer an enemy of God, but a friend of God. I'm no longer just a creation of God. I'm a child of God. That, that, that just, just the peace that God brings gives you courage and limits your fear. We talked about the shield of faith. You gotta hide behind that. You gotta believe the promises of God. You have to actually believe what God says. Every time you're tempted, it's a temptation to say, I believe Satan and not God, or believe my flesh and not God. And then we saw or we see here this morning how we're to put on two last pieces of armor, the helmet of salvation and use the sword of the spirit. So we're gonna first talk about the helmet and then we'll get into the sword last. So verse 17 says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's look first at this helmet of salvation. Now I know that no one in this room, okay, no one here, okay, needs to know or needs to be told that if you're in any type of war that your head matters. Okay, so you can get shot in a lot of places, but you get shot in your head, that's usually fatal. Right? I mean, that's why we even have laws for different types of automobiles like motorcycles, even bikes, where the only requirement is that you wear a helmet. Why? Because they know your head's important. Right? They know your head is a, a, a vital place of you living, of you thinking clearly, of you seeing right. And so here he's going to get into this idea of the helmet of salvation that we put on our head. Now the helmet was actually one of the most noticeable pieces of armor that the Roman soldiers wore. And it could withstand sometimes, based on the weight of it, some of the biggest blows to the head. It would just dent the helmet, but it wouldn't shatter it. Okay, so, he, so he's talking about something really dependable here, something serious here that we're to put on to protect from the blows of the enemy to our head. And he talks about how these blows are going to come namely at the security and assurance you have in your salvation. Now, if there's anything that is important to have security in or bank all your stock in, it's your salvation, Right? 
Like, like if you spend your whole life battling emotions of insecurity about where you're at with God, if he's really dependable, if he really saved you, if he really sealed you, if he really guarantees it, you're never going to go into the battle. You're just going to be sitting on the, on the sidelines going, I'm just not secure. I'm insecure. And you're going to just deal with emotions and never get engaged in the war. And so here he's showing us that it's so important that we understand the salvation that we have because Satan wants to destroy that. And I think one of the main ways he does this is through doubt that leads to discouragement. Now some people say one of the primary ways Satan attacks you is through doubt and discouragement. No, he just needs to cause you to doubt because if you doubt, that'll lead you to discouragement. Right, so if you doubt the love that your parents have for you, that brings discouragement, right? If you doubt the dependability of your friends or the people that you love, that brings what? Discouragement, right? So he knows if I can in any way wedge myself into you forgetting or thinking less of the sovereign grace of God in your life, then I'll begin to just take away from you your, your foundation of hope, right? One of the only foundations that you really have. And so here he calls this the helmet of salvation now. There's three aspects to our salvation. I actually think he's alluding to one, but let's cover the first two first, okay? So the first value of your salvation is your past, right? Okay, so we have a past salvation, okay? This salvation is basically the reality that at one point in your life, right, you realize I'm a sinner, I wanna be my own God, I love taking all of God's good gifts and worshiping myself and not worshiping him, and so I realize that that's sin, but I realize I want something else on the mantle of my heart. And so you see the holiness of God. You see the sinfulness of yourself. And so you repent of your sin. Right? You see Jesus, the weight of what he did for you. That he did it all for you. He performed for you. He lived your life for you. He died for you. Bore the wrath for you. Rose for you. Gifts you righteousness. And you repent from your sin and you turn to Christ. And you submit to him as Lord and Savior. Right? So, so, so that's the first act. This is past reality. Now a lot of times, a lot of us just like to sit in that. We like to just sit in the past reality of salvation. So, okay, God did this for me then, but he's not doing anything for me in the present, and he's not going to do anything for me in the future. And the ways that Satan honestly comes at us a lot is he'll plague you with doubts as to whether he's dependable in regards to your past salvation. That's where he'll probably hit you. Is God really able to keep you? Did God really save you? Did you really repent of your sin? And the beautiful reality in John 10 we learn is that, that Jesus gives eternal life. So if he gives it, you can't lose it. If, if you earned it, if you walked in it right, if you thought it was a cute idea, then you could lose it. But it's kept by God. So we remember John 10, 27 and 28, that he gives eternal life to his sheep. His sheep know his voice and he knows his sheep and they will never be snatched from his hand. Remember Romans 8, the great beautiful truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Right? So, so we cling to promises to the truth of, of what God's word says in light of when we feel shaken by his doubts and discouragement. The other aspect is the present, right? Now the present aspect of our salvation is a little bit different. It's this weird, we're in the already not yet phase. So, so you are already seen as the righteousness of Christ, right? But that, that righteousness isn't fully realized till you're in glorification. So you're progressively being shaped more into the image of Jesus, growing more into the image of the Son. You're progressively killing more sin and growing in holiness. But that'll only be done when you're with him. 
So, so it, does, it can't happen now, but it's continually and progressively moving that way. So to a degree, we have the ability to kill sin in our life, but we will still struggle. We will still wage war. We will still fight it, but God does give us victory in the present. And so what he will often do here, I think, is he'll haunt you with accusations in your present. You can't really, Jesus can't really defeat that sin in your life, right? You're not going to ever be free of that addiction, right? You're a fraud. You really can't grow in holiness. Jesus really is bothered by you talking to him. He'll, he'll think that God's just annoyed with you. Like he saves you and then walks away and moves on to somebody else to save. And, and we're learning that all those realities are not true. And so Satan will do a lot of these things to try and get in your mind and say you're not loved, you're not forgiven, you'll never change. God's not powerful enough. I think he'll also try and get you in this present salvation phase to fall back into earning what has already been freely forgiven, right? So okay, so we say, yeah, I've been freely forgiven in my past, that's great, okay, now that I'm a Christian, now I gotta work to keep it. <laughs> Listen, hear me, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. But like the gospel is for all seasons of your life. It was for your past, for your present, for your future. So your understanding, your dependability on Jesus doesn't just matter then, it matters right now. So you cling to his faithfulness right now in that he will not let you go. He is faithful. His greater is he that is in you than is he that is of the world. Right? right? The great news is not that Jesus just wins, but that he's won. And so, so here we, we see this just incredible reality that God is with us. Romans 6 says, for sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law anymore, you're under grace. Right? So, so Romans 6 gets into this, that, that when you're converted, when you trust in the goodness of God, you become a new creation in Christ, you're, you're not walking with a new spirit, he actually enables you and makes you capable of living this Christian life. That's, that's a beautiful promise, right? That's a great reality for us. That we're able to now conquer sin. And I think these are true areas that Satan will attack us, but I don't, I don't think that's actually what Paul's talking about. I think Paul, because, because here's the thing. You don't put on your helmet to be saved, right? So I think if we're not careful, we think, okay, we gotta wear the helmet of salvation to actually be saved. I think that Paul's actually getting more into our future hope of salvation. Now, where do I get that? I think, I think 1 Thessalonians give us, gives us a window into this. First Thessalonians 5, this text is, is on the screen because the assumption from Paul, if you follow this letter, is you've already been saved. You're already in Christ. You've already been sealed. You've already been adopted. Right? All those realities have already happened for you, okay? So, so because that's already happened, I think if you lack hope in your future assurance, you have no security in your present. You can't actually wage the war right. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, where I think we get a window into this. He says, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So what is the helmet of salvation? I think the helmet of salvation is actually the great hope of a final salvation. And this gives you confidence and assurance. Assurance. 
you know that your present struggle with Satan and sin is not eternal. Like, you know you're gonna triumph in the end. If you don't know that, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna have a lot less motivation, right, for the war. And, and he, he, he's giving you a window into this, this helmet is hope of the final salvation that we're gonna actually get in Christ. Look at what the Apostle John said in 1 John. He looked forward to this glorious time. Beloved, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Or he's saying, look, okay, look, I know we're not quite there yet. Yeah, we're already there in the sense that we are positionally made righteous. But man, when we see him, when we're physically face to face with Jesus, it'll all be finally realized. So, so this assurance in this day brings you great confidence in your today. It gives you great boldness in your walk with Jesus. His final aspect of salvation is, I think, the real strength for the believer's helmet. Look what Romans 8 says. Another text, he explains this further. Paul says, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, why? As we wait, how? Eagerly. Man, I can't wait, right? Like he's going, man, eagerly for adoption as sons. You're going, wait a second, I thought I was already adopted as a son. I thought I was already adopted as a daughter. You are already, but not yet. You're like, what are you talking, I don't know. Just what the Bible said, right? Like it's this amazing idea of, yes, you are already in the family of God, but when will we actually fully be with the full family of God as adopted sons and daughters? Future glory. Where we're all looking around as brothers and sisters and you don't need a one another text to teach you how to act, right? Because you do it perfectly. You're not gonna have to bear with because no one sins. Praise God, Wow. Right, let's, long, let's eagerly await that day, right? You going through membership like, yeah, that's what I want, right? But, but until then, right, we don't have this, right? That's the full redemption of our bodies, Paul says. That's the full redemption of your body. For in this hope, we are saved. Gospel people are hopeful people. Now, this rolls into even how you share your faith. I say all the time, the gospel's not a gospel of cynicism or unbelief. It's a gospel of hope. It's a, it's a hopeful message. We have great hope for souls who we counsel and walk with it. No, you can be delivered, right? You can be delivered from this sin. You can be delivered from this addiction. You can be delivered from all of these things. It's a hopeful thing. The person, the person who thinks he has nothing worthwhile ahead of him has no reason to fight. You understand that? Why fight? I think the person who thinks he has nothing worthwhile to look forward to has no reason to make war. There's no reason to labor well. There's no reason to want to really lead his family as a godly man or to fight present sin or to tenaciously share their faith. But how does this confidence in our final full salvation give us protection? 
How does it protect you? Because this is a piece of armor, right? We're wearing a helmet. So that's to protect us from something. So how does wearing the helmet of salvation actually give you confidence and protect you? I'm convinced that if you think you can lose your salvation, it is one of the greatest detriments to you in making war against the enemy. So if you think that God can't secure you to the end, you're going to be a worthless vessel. You're going to be useless in the war. That's what I was getting at earlier. Like, if if you're not sure we can win, if you're questioning God's power, if you're not sure about his ability, you're not sure if he's dependable, you're not sure if he's faithful, why even step on the field? And you say, no, you're wearing a helmet that gives you great hope in your future, and as you love that future, look forward to the future, find promise in that future, that gives you great courage today. Great promise for you who's struggling with me. Fellow struggler. This is good news for us. And you will deflect the attempts to obliterate your head with the great reality that you have a salvation to come. That it's sure. It's kept undefiled. Unperishable, right, Peter says. Kept in heaven by God for you. What does Philippians 1 say? He who began that good work in in you might complete it. (laughs) No, right? He says, says, will you bank on that. Yeah, the Jesus that started that good work, that's molding you and fashioning you and forming you, hey, he's going to carry that all the way to completion when? Tomorrow? Well, if the day of Christ is tomorrow. No, at the day of Christ Jesus. Sorry, there's demons in our thing. It's cool. Um, that's why we're praying, praying over the projectors. Don't worry about that. So here, here's, we, we see that this is a beautiful truth for us. Listen, if you, be, if you read the beginnings of Revelation, right, and you read about these churches, right, the first seven churches that, that Jesus talks to, what does he say over and over and over again to these seven churches? Endure, persevere, stay faithful, overcome. Why? Paradise is coming. He ends every one that way. Paradise is coming. Like, you've got eternal reward coming. So keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep waging war against your sin. Keep doing good works in the glory of God. I mean, that's the whole point of this is is he continues to remind them. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, what does Paul say to that church in Corinth? He says, hey, always be steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Your labor's not in vain. What a great truth. Like, like your labor's not in vain. Like, it's not meaningless. Your war is not meaningless. And we don't even have time to get into eternal rewards because they're real. The Bible talks all about that, even as part of motivation for laboring and working. And I think Paul is getting at when you understand the permanence, guys, of your salvation. When you understand the eternality of your salvation, when you understand the unbreakenness, breakenness, unbrokenness, learning English, when you understand the unbrokenness of your salvation, what happens, man? Confidence, assurance, courage. You start making war. You love going on the field. You love enduring. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4 for a second. Just go, if you have your Bible. This is why, man, it's really great if you guys bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. I used to say at our old church, it was called McLean Bible Church. 
So it's not McLean PowerPoint Church, right? It's McLean Bible Church. So, so here, get used to that so you can see where things are. Second Corinthians chapter 4, this just came to mind. This is a, this is a great, great text. Now look, if, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you look at verse 1 to verse uh, 6. This is talking mostly about your salvation, okay? This is talking about the, the salvation that's been given to us, how God unveils our hearts, right, to our spiritual blindness. Then he gets in verse 7, and look at what he says. Starting in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, so he's affirming the power that changed you is God, not you. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, for when we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, hold on. Why? Can Paul say anything he just said? How can Paul say such perplexing realities that, that really strike your heart, right? I feel so perplexed. I feel like I'm gonna be crushed. Or I feel like I'm gonna be forsaken. Like, like what does he ground his ability to say any of these things in? Verse 16. I mean, what does he say in verse 16? We don't lose heart. Why? He says, though our outward nature's wasting away, our inner nature's being renewed day by day for this slight and momentary. He got future glory. Man, this is just momentary. James 4, life is a vapor. I'm here for an instant. I'm gonna be gone. It's not forever. I'm not destroyed. I may, I may experience deep hurt here, but it's not permanent. It's not eternal. He says, it's momentary is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So what does he do? We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Why are we not crushed, brothers and sisters? Because of what's to come. Why are you perplexed, and why are you feeling, feeling all these temptations and struggling, but you're not forsaken? Because of what's to come. Like you, we have to set our eyes there. I mean, honestly, I don't know how we can make a week in this world, in this culture, if you don't know that's coming. Well, like how do you, how do you make it? The answer is you don't. You go to addiction. You go to sin. You run to everything else for comfort, not the God of the universe for comfort. You run to everything else for life and security and assurance that can't give it to you. So you get frustrated and keep running to it. He's going, I've given you the one thing that's stable and steadfast and sure. Grab hold of your future salvation. Hope in that. That's what the helmet does for you. It gives you great, great joy. Paul says, let it come. Because my vision is on what's ahead. I don't fix my eyes on here. I fix my eyes on there. It's challenging, right? So we labor and toil and fight 
because we know in the end we will triumph. I think this is one of the most comforting doctrines in all of Scripture. God's keeping power over you. That he will never let you go. I think we need to sit in this much more often than we do. I think we need to remember, because what did Paul do in Ephesians 1? He told you that. The Holy Spirit's a seal guarantees you. Guarantees that inheritance. I don't want you to worry about it. I don't want you to battle emotions in that regard because we got we to fight. we got a war, a war to wage. Right, so he already reminded us, and if you, if you go back, listen, we talked about eternal security in that sermon, in uh, one of them, way back when on Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. You can go find that online and, and, and listen to that if, if you're, you're wondering how that might help and assist you in this. So we have an inheritance that can't be defiled, a foundation that can't be shaken, a seal that can't be broken, a life that can't perish. And Paul moves to the final piece, which is the sword. So we find confidence in the hope of salvation. And then he gives us something. He gives us a weapon. He says this in verse 17b. He says, and we're given the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the sword was a really feared weapon. Okay? But, but it wasn't what you think. It wasn't like a samurai sword. Okay, it wasn't this long, big thing where he's like, shink, right? Like, like Legend of Zelda. Anyone ever play that game growing up? I know I'm like in some weird genres here. Okay, Jim Colkey. So, so here's, the, here, here's the idea. Like, like, like when you would like unsheath your sword, it was just this long, man, you, and you got like bigger swords as they went, like the more, you know, diamonds and stuff you got. So it's not like that. This is actually a small dagger. It's quick. It's precise. It's easy to use. This is actually, you'll see the word for this sword is the same word even when you read about the Roman soldiers in the garden when they arrest Jesus. It's the same type of sword. The soldiers didn't have these big, long samurais. They had daggers that were like this long. They could easily pull out quick and kill with and be precise with. Think about Peter when he grabbed the sword. He didn't have to like, ah, right? He wasn't like trying to pick it up. I'm telling you because this really helps. This is really important. This is important for you to see how the word of God is to be used. It's quick. It's precise. It's, it's, it's easy to get when you have it. Right? And so here we see this idea that God has given us this weapon in the sword of the spirit. Now, I believe in this context, the sword is both defensive and offensive. Okay? Because it only gives you one. Okay? You can block, protect, and you can strike. Right? But I think we have to just answer this question quick. Why can you trust this weapon? Right? If he only gives you one weapon, you're going to the war we've been talking about. We talked about an uncountable number of demons and adversaries in the original language that are waging war. Not only that, but you got your own flesh warring against. I mean, he only gives me one thing? Like, how do I know that's sufficient? I need like six. I need things poking out my back and I need like on my head, you know, like spikes. I mean, I need a lot of stuff going on. I can't just have a sword. So why is this, why is it, why is it reliable? Why is it authoritative? Why? Because if, if, if you question inerrancy, if you question its authority, if you question its sufficiency, why are you going to use it? Right? Just real quick, what does the Bible claim for itself? Okay, this is not a, a, a seminary class, so this is not exhaustive. We can talk more in length later, but just, just a few things so we get the groundwork. What does the Bible claim for itself? Number one, 
It claims for itself that it's without error, right? Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect. John 10, the scriptures cannot be broken. It's without error, right? So if it's without error, it also claims to be infallible. That means everything it affirms is true. So the Psalms alone say how the word of God is pure. Proverbs 30 says every word of God is pure. John ends Revelation and says what? You can't add a word to it and you can't take away a word from it. It's done. It's wrapped up. You have full written revelation. You have all you need from God. And so if it is infallible, if it is inerrant, if everything that affirms it is true and it is totally without error, then it is authoritative. The Bible claims to be authoritative. Isaiah 1 says, oh, oh, Israel, give ear to the Lord. He's spoken. This isn't just man speaking. This is God speaking. It's, a, it's authority. So it is in error, it's, in, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative. And if all those things are true, it's fully sufficient. It's fully sufficient for what you need. We don't need anything else. 2 Timothy 3 says it's sufficient to achieve all the issues of your soul, to combat all the issues within you, to grow in holiness. So whenever you share the word, speak the word, read the word, teach the word, it's powerful. It's effective. So we could sum all this up. Look at 2 Peter 1 on the screen. We could sum all this up by saying this. Peter says this about it. Knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's no other book in existence that can claim that. Listen, if it is infallible, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, it has to be divinely authored. So this is what the Bible claims for itself, that God himself inspired to write this, that God himself spoke this, that God himself gave it without error, because he is truth. There's no error in him. He's unchanging. So God gives us this word of God, and it's a powerful, powerful weapon. This is why, brothers and sisters, he only gives you one. You don't need something else. What do you try to do? We all try to get cute, right? Well, I need this over here, right? I need the view. I need therapy. I need more politics. I need... I need more ingenuity. I need more philosophy. We just start adding and trying to find other ways because we think it's not really fully sufficient. And what happens? You go into war with something that's not authoritative, that is not sufficient, that's not divinely authored, that's not infallible, that's not inerrant, and you're crushed. I mean, I mean what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? You destroy every lofty argument brought against God by what? The true knowledge of God. That's how we destroy the Satan schemes. That's how we battle against falsehood and error. We bring forth the truth. So we don't just have a dagger's power. 2 Corinthians goes on to say that it can tear down entire fortresses. So brothers and sisters, this isn't some puny weapon. Maybe in size, but not in power. Not in ability. Not in weightiness, not in strength, not in truth not in sufficiency, 
And so our offense and defense is fundamentally to know this. You want to boil it all down? You think you can live the Christian life by just hearing sermons on the internet? You're fried. You're done. You're going to get blown over the head. Like, like you need to be knowing the truth, studying it, meditating on it, dwelling on it, walking in it. If you don't know the truth, we can't defend or attack. And it's not talking about random facts. That's why you need to understand the story. It's talking about precision. So when a certain lie comes, you know how to precisely attack or defend. It's not random. It's not pulling out your sword, just trying to wave it everywhere. It's just trying to figure out where. No, you know exactly where to go. There's, there's practice in this. So, so look, I want you to understand that, that word for word of God here is rhema. That means a word fitly spoken. It's not a random word because remember, I believe this is the spoken word of God. The belt is the written word of God and you unsheath the spoken word of God from having the belt on. So if you don't have a belt on, which is the written word of God, the truth, you can't unsheath your sword. And so I'm just gonna give you, I wanna get practical for, for just, just a moment. Um, and this is not, please, this is not exhaustive. Um, just how do we learn to use it? I mean, how, what does Timothy say? We learn to rightly divide the word of truth. I mean, okay, so how do we do that? Some of you guys are going, Mike, I mean, I hear this, I hear it's important, I hear that, I need it, but, but what do I do? Listen, um, the first one's really basic. Um, read it. I'm serious. I can't tell you how many people go, I just don't know the Bible. When was the last time you read it? I don't know, like five years ago. Okay, so read it. Start there. Read it. Like, stop complaining so much. I don't mean to come across as, as aggressive or, 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 or trying to like pound you over the head, but I mean, just speaking frankly, like, like so many Christians wallow around and, and just whine. And they're like, I just don't know why I can't fight this. Why I don't know what the Bible says. Well, look, I'm not saying you're going to have a doctorate. I'm not saying you're going to have a PhD. I'm not saying you're going to have a seminary degree. I'm saying, but if you never open the Bible and don't read it, I mean, why are you complaining? Why are you not putting it to the test? And that's what happened to me in college. I realized, man, I've grown up my whole life in a Christian home, hearing Christian from Christian parents, I never one time on my own was like, no, God, what do you really say? How, how do I really know that this is trustworthy? So I told you freshman year in college, I read the whole Bible three times over three months because I was just like, God, I, I need to know what you say. I need to know what's true. Not just based upon what my pastor tells me. Not just based upon what my friend tells me. I want to know what's true. I want to know if it's true. So the first thing is just, just read it. Now, I will say one caveat to this. To be able to understand it and digest it, you have to be converted. So if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you need to trust Jesus. You can read the scriptures to learn about him, but you're not going to be able to understand it or digest it without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 is very clear. You can't discern anything in the spiritual realm of the Spirit of God without being given the Spirit. You can't. So, so, so read it. Yeah, read it. Ask questions. But man, pray that God would open your eyes. Pray that God would show you his truth, right? Number two, 
pray for desire. Listen, I know, that, I know these things sound basic. They're not. They are in one sense. They're profound in another sense. Not because I'm saying it. Because, listen, because here's the other reality. You can't make yourself hunger for it. You're like, that stinks. I know, because you're so self-sufficient. Because you're so prideful, I know. Because you wanna, you wanna have credit. Yeah, man, I finally, I mustered it up. I had good discipline. I, listen, I find the times I'm pleading for God. Weeks that I have as a pastor where I don't feel like reading. Yeah, let's be honest, right? And, and I'm, I'm pleading with him, God, just give me a renewed desire. In that praying, in that pleading, he kindles intimacy. It's amazing. Like, like in your wanting, he causes you to want more. But you have to go to him and ask for it. And then what happens? He gets glory for it. Because when then all of a sudden you love it and you start opening, you're like, man, he gets all the praise because he granted you that desire. So man, beg him for it. Say, God, man, man I'm, I'm, some of you are sitting here going, I have zero desire to read this. I have not picked it up in like five years. And, and I've been acting well. I'm in a community group. Man, I kind of love Jesus. I know what the gospel is. I mean, I, I, I like my family. I get along well. I submit to authority. I'm good in my job. I don't steal. I give. It's all vanity. If it doesn't stem from a, a heart that's propelled by truth or loves the truth or knows the truth, Guys, you gotta pray, ask God. I Look, I know this takes work. Welcome to being a Christian. I mean, and he enables you to. Jesus enables you to. That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. So as you pray, the Holy Spirit enables you and kindles and grows that desire. God wants you to ask for things. One of those things is a desire for more of him, for more of his word. Peter says we wanna crave it. Like a baby craves milk. Number three, you need to be a Christian, read it, pray for desire, and then you begin interpreting it. Now, I'm, you don't need a seminary degree for this. You don't. Because here, here's what I mean by this I more mean get quiet, get away. Like, like, this is where the work comes in, okay? Okay, you're, you're reading it, you're, you're praying for more of a desire, and, and then you want to understand it. Because here's what a lot of you guys do. You go, Mike, what do you do for your devotions? You know what you're really asking me? You're asking me, hey, what do you read without having to understand it? Like, what can I just read? No, 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 no. The hard work is reading and then sitting, and meditating, and praying, and sweating. And this isn't, you wake up one morning, there's a verse on your fridge, you read it on your fridge, like, oh, awesome, locked it in, cereal's on your shirt, you run out the door, read Jesus Calling for like a second, and then walk into your job. But like, that, that, that's, not, that's not gonna do it for you. Like, guys, do you realize that? Like, this isn't like, you get a tagline verse that gets you through your week. Like, those verses are important, they're, they're, they're necessary, they're helpful, but guys, you need to find time, you need to create space where you are getting alone and sitting down and looking at it and praying and meditating and dwelling and just saying, God, speak to me. You gotta get quiet. I don't know, man, I, I know North Jersey, man, it's insane. Our schedules, 
That, that was the most convicting thing for me while I was away, is that I'm so busy as a pastor that I need more time to just be still and quiet and shut off emails and phone calls and just be near God. Because that's the only thing that's gonna produce and help me to be a better shepherd. If you're not in the presence of God, you, you can't help other people understand what that means. And so here, you guys, we, we wanna create space and, and, and discipline and sit and think and pray. Again, ask God for help in that. And then lastly, so maybe, maybe some of you guys are doing this. Praise God. Lastly, then you begin to teach others because you begin to hold on to what you give away to others. So maybe it's as simple as a text that encourages you and you write someone else. I mean, this text just brought sweet nourishment to my soul. I just want to encourage you because I know what you're going through right now. You know that'll help you actually keep the word implanted in your heart? It'll help you remember that? This can be very, very basic. This could be something someone else shared with you of truth, and then you just hand that off to someone else. This is 2 Timothy 2. You, you continue teaching and handing it down to other faithful people. We, be, we begin to become a community that just, just shares it with others, that grows in our understanding of truth. So those are just, just some ideas. And there, there's one thing that, that we're going we're gonna to do. We're actually right now working through just helping, putting some resources together that just give you ways to study the word. Just, they're, they're not inspired, but they might be helpful. And, and, and maybe we just need to pray for each other in this, that God help form us as a community of faith that, that loves to do this. And I want to, one more thing before we end. I want us to see Jesus used the sword. If our whole goal is to be like Jesus, that he's our model, that he's who we look to, Matthew 4, right? Matthew 4 is where Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Let's look at just what he does. Real quick, to give us confidence in this. Because listen, if, if Jesus needed the, the spoken word of God to defend against temptation, you bet no one in this room is off the hook, right? Okay, so, so he himself had it. So Matthew chapter four, here is, here is what goes on. Matthew chapter four, verse one, okay? Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Okay, first temptation. What is it? The prosperity preacher. Dude, you, you deserve whatever you want. You're hungry. You're starving. Like, just, just, I know you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, so why don't you just turn these loaves into bread? You deserve satisfaction. Right? And, and what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't buy the lie. He responds with the sword, Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Speaks the word. No, I believe God's word, not what you say. Then he goes on. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of a temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, now Satan uses the Bible. Seems clever. He's dumb, right? So he uses Psalm 91, and he only gives half-truths, remember? He can speak to you something that's true, but it's not fully true. So he speaks Psalm 91. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Show everybody who you are. Because you know the promise of God, that he'll catch you. And Jesus then knows the word of God well, and speaks it and shows, no, no, that's not the whole truth. 
that is true, but what does God also say? And he responds again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord of your God to the test. That's sin. He's showing, we don't have, we don't have time to get into that. We just see him using the word of God. Lastly, Jesus said to him, or again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. Verse nine, and he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan's going, God's not faithful to his promise. He said he was gonna give you the kingdoms of the world, but look at you, you're starving, you're homeless, you're thirsty. God's not faithful. God's not good. God's not dependable. It's amazing, right? So he says, just come with me. Just believe me. This is, guys, this is age old, Genesis 3. Believe me, not God. When we talk about this throughout the whole series of the, this, this armor that we put on, it's every single temptation is believe Satan and don't believe God. And here we see this amazing reality. Jesus again responds, be gone, Satan, why? For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I believe God. I don't worship you. You're not gonna give me anything. You're lying, you're manipulative, you're deceitful, you promise something that you can't actually provide. I mean, could Satan actually give him the kingdoms of the world? No, he's not God. And so here we see the very Jesus who we lean into, who we love, who we were saved by, using the very sword of the Spirit. This is, this is so beautiful. So what is he showing as we, as we have the written word of God in our hearts, the belt of truth, it begins to overflow out of your mouth. And I can remember times in college where I was so tempted to either look at something I shouldn't or, or just fill my mind with something, whether it's, it's a go to a movie or something. I just think of Romans 12, verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Philippians 4, man, set my mind on what is pure and holy and honorable and, and trustworthy. Think on these things. I had to actually speak that out. I had to use my sword. I had to remember that God is better, that Jesus is better. Listen, something you can do, guys, God's gift to you is Google. I mean, look, man, we, we, look, the other people growing up in the early church, they didn't have Google. They couldn't type in future promises of God. I mean, I mean it's like, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit, you know, to a degree. You know, like, it's, it's so, so go on Google and just, just look up future promises of God and put in quality men who you trust. Just look at some. Go to BibleGateway.com. Do, do subject searches. And, and just put in those words. Start memorizing those verses or putting them on note cards and put them on your dashboard of your car. Just begin implanting the word in your heart. There's no right, wrong way. It's gonna be different for everybody. Schedules, seasons, the ways you work, the way you're wired. Listen, Satan also loves to come and try to get the sword out of your hand. You wanna know why? Because that means surrender. I mean, what happens in a war when you get hand-to-hand combat and the guy knocks your weapon out of your hand? And you're, it's either death or surrender, right? So when you say, I don't need to read my Bible, you're saying surrender. Now, I, I don't really need to trust the Bible. Surrender, surrender to you, Satan. You're better, you're better than God. You're, I wanna be on your team. 
serious. You're, you're fundamentally saying surrender. When, when, here, and here's what happens to a lot of us, right? We get, we get really frustrated at, at life, trial, struggle, whatever. So one of the first things we do is we stop reading the Bible, and then we forsake gathering with the church. And then maybe some of your complications start to wane. You're like, oh, no. He stopped his threats because you dropped your weapon. You're no longer a threat. You put your sword down. He's like, cool, man. Well, he or she doesn't even have her sword, so I don't need to bother with them. Right? I mean, you're like wanting to, that's saying like, oh, I'd rather join his team. Man, we don't surrender. We go after because we know that this is truth that's authoritative and fallible and errant. This means we have our eyes wide open that to every time you're gonna leave this room, you're gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do these things. I'm just gonna read it. I'm gonna pray for desire. And I'm telling you, the second you go to pick up your Bible, it's an act of absolute war. You, you, you have to have your eyes wide open to that reality. Like when you wake up and you feel tired, you're like, mm, I just don't think I need to go to church today. It's an act of war. You realize that? Like, I mean, when you're like, I don't know if I need to go to community group. I don't know if I really want to be encouraged because I got someone there I don't really like. It's an act of war. Like when your Bible's sitting on that table or you're trying to carve out time, it's an act of war. There's someone vying for your time, vying for your soul and your heart and your attention. Man, he, that's why it's so funny. We are talking about this as a board as we were away. I mean, it's like every time we finally get away, it's like something, right? You get like the most urgent phone call. It's just always, right? It's an act of war. You gotta see it that way. You see, it's not just sitting there going, oh, this is so easy. I mean, look, man. This is war. This is battle. I mean, if you're lying on the ground and you see your enemy coming and your sword is five feet away, are you going to just like think about whether you should get it? Are you going to like question it? Ah, it's kind of far away. I'm just going to lay here, right? I mean, I see him coming. I see the whole, all the flanks. Yeah, man, I'm just going to, no. You would get up and do everything you could to grab your sword for protection, for fighting, for defense and offense. We have, to, we have to see it this way. Those were the first three verses before we got in the armor. Paul was trying to get you to see it. Remember, that's why we took two weeks to go through that. See the spiritual realm. See the spiritual war. You also got everything else fighting against you, right? People are gonna say, we don't need an age-old book. We got psychology, we got therapy, we got politics. We don't need good news. We need to do more good deeds. We don't need Jesus. Let's just talk about God, right? Yeah. That's that. So we need the, the, the word of truth, the word of God. Listen, I want to I end us with just this last statement. You know, if you look at all these things, here's, what, here's what's awesome. Everything centers at the end of the day on Jesus, right? We've always said that. The whole Bible's about Jesus. He is it all. So you are literally, because I was thinking about this, so interesting. What does Paul say in Romans 13? He says, put on Jesus Christ, right? Okay. The armor is Jesus Christ. 
The belt of truth. He's saying put on the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. You're putting him on. The breastplate of righteousness, right? He is your righteousness. Okay? The shoes. Gospel of peace. He is your peace. All right? The shield of faith. It's his act of faith and obedience to the Father that granted you your salvation. It's his faith you believe in. Right? right? The, 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 what did we just talk about? Helmet. Salvation, right? He is your salvation. He gives it to you. He grants it to to you. He secures it for you, right? So you're putting on Jesus. And then lastly, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He is the word, John 1. You are literally putting on Jesus Christ. May we love him, walk with him, and know more of him. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you'd help us to know Jesus. I pray you'd help us to be a church that loves truth, that fights for truth, that when we're lazy, we can love one another well and encourage one another towards this. God, build us as a people who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. God, help us to use the spoken word of God to defend against lie and accusation and discouragement. Remind us of the sureness of our salvation. May we wear the helmet daily. So as those blows come of you're not dependable, you're not faithful, you're not forgiving. You're not everlasting. You, you do not secure those that you have. God, may we destroy those arguments by the true knowledge of God. God, help us to be people who are secure. God, for you, you want us to be secure in you. God, help us to learn and grow in grace. Father, I pray that you would help us to know more of you. But God, the goal is Jesus Christ. God, I pray as we, we observe the Lord's Supper that we would remember you, that you're our armor. You are. We appeal to you, we love you, we celebrate you, for it's Christ alone that we find sureness and foundation and refuge. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.